Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I've got a good friend and actually a business partner, um, Hans Box, on the show. And I'm really excited to bring this show to you because for those of you that are interested in getting into investing or, or getting into the details behind um, you know, how to analyze a deal or any of that, Hans is probably, um, he's probably up there in the top 10 of people that I know when it comes to analyzing deals and, and excuse the language, but just no bullshit. That's really why, uh, it actually Hans and I talked for a few years before we even started looking at deals together. And, and he's worked with a lot of different operators. His background is just extremely interesting and he's involved in a lot of different types of deals. And so I'm just really excited to get into the tactical part of investing today and, and probably bring you guys some value. Hans, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I'm, um, I'm honored to be on your podcast. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. We've talked about it forever and uh, I, I think it's going to be good. So we'll dive right into the question. So Hans, who's had the greatest impact on your life? Well, that's a bit of a tough question for me to answer. You know, I would, I would start with my parents and, and I can't pick one or the other. I think them together in the way they raised me, my parents were frugal. My dad was very very stringent about being honest and, and having integrity. And I think those And my mom was just is a very kind person. She's thinks of others. So I think the combination of, of that is kind of what it probably had the most influence on, on the way I think now and, and the way I try to live my life. But, you know, beyond that, I really think it's just my own personal decisions that I've made over the course of my career to take, I guess, calculated risks where it was appropriate, but not you know, taking too, too much of a risk and, and basically driving forward towards my goal. It's just kind of in my nature to want to continue moving forward, whatever that is. I love it. If you could narrow it down to one thing that you think has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Um, persistence and continually driving towards all towards my goals. I have a pretty good attention to detail, which has helped me in analyzing deals and investing and, and sponsoring and syndicating deals. And I really love learning. So I didn't completely answer your question uh, the way you asked it, because it was more than one thing, but I would, you know, it's really about learning attention to detail and never giving up persistence, just keep driving forward. And uh, you're going to hit roadblocks along the way, but just know that you're, if you're heading in the right direction, you'll eventually get there. I love it. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? Well, this is a long story. Okay. So it's basically what probably kicked off or did kick off my investing career in earnest. I was a CPA with PricewaterhouseCoopers for years and in practiced accounting and then business strategy and management consulting and the like for almost nine or 10 years. And then in approximately 2009, I quit my job making a good salary for my age at the time and went into multifamily full-time by partnering up with an individual that owned 800 units via syndication, but needed help with their accounting. So the deal was I was going to fix their accounting and he was going to quote unquote mentor me in multifamily. So that I did that. I quit my job. I mean, literally took a massive pay cut 
at the same time, my wife decided to start law school and go into debt. So it was, it was, it was all hitting at once, but it was one of those, it's one of those calculated risks that I was talking about where I thought at the time, I was like, if I don't do this now, I'm going to get golden handcuffs at this firm. It's a great firm. In fact, my wife works for them, but I didn't want to be trapped. And if I stayed there much longer, I might've gotten trapped. So I, I made the jump because I didn't have a lot of commitments and we could live on the cheap. And I partnered with this guy and invested basically my entire net worth at the time in two of his deals. And one of the deals in particular wasn't going very well at all. I would say that the valuation of the deal went down after we bought it. We actually had more money in it than it was probably worth it at some point in that. And long story short, because of his, you know, and number one, I was pretty green. So it was hard for me to pick out good partners and pick out good sponsors to invest with. It was, I'd never done it before. I, I just, this was kind of out of the blue. I met him in a mentor group. Uh, long story short, I was really worried about losing my 100K that was in the deal. Cause, and that was a vast majority of my net worth at the time. And, and I cashed out my IRA <laughs> to get that 100K in the deal because I didn't want full control over the 100K. So myself and another passive investor in the deal started talking and he was one of the more vocal passive investors. And we basically concluded that we were going to need to do something to save our money because we didn't think he was going to, he was not taking the suggestions from partners. So what happened is the partnership ended up voting myself and this other passive investor to take over the deal and kick the sponsor out of control. He still had equity. He still got to keep his comp, unfortunately, but he, he didn't have control. Long story short, we turned the deal around, hired the right management company, sold it in about a year and a half from after that for at the time was a record price per unit in the submarket. Now it would be the cheapest <laughs> in the submarket, but at the time it was it was a decent return considering where we started. And and that's kind of what kicked it off. So, you know, as a long answer to your question, but that early partnership, you know, obviously didn't work out. My feet were held on the fire. Mm-hmm. I had never run a deal before. And suddenly I was running a 208 unit apartment complex with another guy. Wow. And I'd never run a deal before in my life. Wow. Right. Yeah. And it kind of forced me to learn. Right. And forced me to, to think on my feet. And, and because of that, that passive investor that was my partner in that deal now is my business partner. And, and it kind of, it drove the critical mass of investors that were in that deal was what started our little our little list of investors, you know, that has grown, you know, exponentially since then. And, and the biggest thing I think it did though, than anything else was it did kick off my investing career and I was planning to do this anyway, but it just did it in a, in a different way. I think it molded my investment philosophy completely. I, mm-hmm. you know, almost losing my, my only money in a deal and seeing all the mistakes that can be made on a deal made me conservative and it made me look at deals in ways to mitigate risk instead of just the upside. So it, and it, that kind of just, that's the way I think now, and I can't really get away from it. So I think that was what, what drove that. You know, that's so good. And this is why I love these questions. Cause it just, I mean, I, I have 37 follow-up questions just from, you know, talking <laughs> through that, but before we go on to question number four, and then I'll circle back to some of this and we'll get into a great conversation. But I love how, you know, you were heading that way anyway. And we discussed this before the show a little bit. I've always thought of this analogy of power steering, which, you know, most people that are under our age probably have never driven a car without power steering. When you have a car that doesn't have power steering, you, you can't really steer until you get moving, right? I heard somebody say a long time ago, do strategies determine outcomes or do outcomes determine strategies or, or actions? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times from a business perspective, especially the more analytical that, that we are, 
a lot of times we want to develop the strategy and have like this, even in business teaching today, like a lot of people will tell us that you need to have your business plan. You need to have your exit strategy, all this stuff. And I think that's why so many people don't get moving is because just like without, you know, when we have power steering, you can, you can be going two miles an hour and drive wherever you want to. But the reality is sometimes you have to just start taking steps. And, and I love how sometimes life does that to us because you said you were, you were planning on heading that way anyway, but this just accelerated it. Right. And I I, I think if anybody gets real with themselves, I mean, what Excel, I didn't want to be a business owner, but what accelerated me into owning my own business was being out of town, missing my wife's pregnancy with my third child. Um, it was totally not what we really wanted out of life. And, and so I love how you took a bad situation and it actually, it was, it's amazing because you met your partner, you guys had a deal come about. And I love that you, you know, you had your net worth wrapped up into it. And I've often said this too. I mean, we syndicate now too, and raise capital, which we can get into that a little bit more, but I've often said, you know, I owned a bunch of real estate. I owned five mobile home parks. I owned a 45 unit portfolio of single families. I owned commercial buildings before I started working with other people's money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we learned the hard way you learned the hard way and that shaped your investment philosophy. Right. And I can see that for those of you listening, we'll get into it a little bit later, but Hans is probably, you know, if, if I, if I had to have a deal, I've actually said, Hey, could you (laughs) analyze some deals for us? If, if I needed somebody to analyze a deal for me, I I would rely on Hans. And now when we start talking through this, you can see you, I think you were analytical anyway, you're a CPA by trade, all that kind of stuff. So some of that's personality, but some of that is also the stripes, right? You've earned your stripes. So I love it. Yeah. And it, it wasn't planned, right? If I would have been able to sit down in 2009 and say, okay, here's my 10 year plan and here I want to progress. I would have stayed partners with that guy. We'd own 4,000 units right now. Right. Mm-hmm. But it didn't work out that way. And thank God it didn't. I mean, this, this taught me a lot quicker and a lot faster than I thought I would, would learn. Yeah. And, and it, it, it molded me and it's, it's created, it's created my, uh, success since then. It's, it's, you know, looking back, I would never have guessed I am, I could be where I am 10 years ago, not even, it's not even fathomable. Yeah. At least to, to myself in 2010. And you know, that goes back to that old saying, I, I, I hear Gary Keller say it, but I don't know where it came from. You know, we tend to, we tend to, um, overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate in 10. Right. And so yeah. I think there's such a lesson. There's such a gem in this that I'm not saying we shouldn't have a business plan and I'm not saying we shouldn't have a strategy, but also we shouldn't be so locked in at, at investing for freedom. And I don't know if we've even talked about this Hans, but I narrow this down to five things. What do you really want? Why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it? Measure results. And number five is adjust. Mm-hmm. And so many times people are like, well, what do you mean adjust? Like, aren't you supposed to set your goals and, and not steer away from that? No, it's like with, you know, I mean, with steering sometimes, I mean, if you would have done it your way, you'd have 4,000 units with this guy. But I heard you say you're glad it didn't work out that way. And that's why adjusting is so important. So, yeah, I mean, you, another way to put it is you can look at a map. There's, you can look at a map and you drive from one spot A to spot B. There's five or six different ways to get there. Mm-hmm. Usually when you look at Google maps, right. Yeah. And it's the same way with business. You can, you can get to the same goal in, in a myriad of ways. So I love it. What is the single piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? <laughs> well, you kind of stole it, okay. but, um, <laughs> in, in what you just said, but my answer was the, you know, basically don't get frustrated mm. when it feels like you aren't progressing fast enough. Um, 
and it was, it was precisely that I told this to probably, you know, a ton of, a ton of people in meetups and, and, and uh, as I meet new investors is, you know, it, you will over, you will overestimate what you can do in a year. You're not going to be as far as you thought, but in five years, you look back and like, you'll be looked back and you just can't believe that you've accomplished that much. So be patient. If you're taking steps that leads towards your goals then things will start snowballing and let things snowball, just be hit singles. And in like, if you want to put in a sports analogy, hit singles and doubles, mm. I'll take singles and doubles all day long over the occasional home run. So to me, the, you know, the boil it down is just be persistent be diligent, don't get frustrated and keep driving and be okay with singles and doubles. Don't expect you're going to do everything in, in a year or six months. I love that. And I think so many people don't get moving because they're so scared of risk. Right. Um, and what I really hear you saying, I mean, there's a way to take calculated risk too. When you talk about singles and doubles, the reason why people don't really get moving is because they're always thinking about that home run. Yes. Because um, it's, so, it's that it's hard to obtain that reach, right? Yeah. And I would another piece of advice I would have for people that are having trouble getting moving is 10 years from now, if you look back on today, are you going to regret not at least giving that a shot? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've only got one trip around this mm -hmm. globe, right? Yeah. Or you know, around the sun. We got multiple trips, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You only got one life. Yeah. And and so will you regret looking back and saying, I could have done that. I could create freedom for myself or just an extra income stream of some sort. Or or even if it's a hobby, it's a hobby. Whatever it is that added joy to your life, the freedom of your life. Yeah. So. I love it. So good. So this for for our listeners, it's gonna be a little challenging for Hans, but I'm gonna pull it out of him. <laughs> you've you've done you've done a lot of things in life. Tell just kind of give us your, give us what you've done. Cause I mean, you've exited a lot of amazing deals. You've, you've done pretty well as an individual. Hans doesn't like talking about himself, but I want you guys to understand he's not just, you know, a guru coach that can show you how to analyze a deal. Like Hans, you've done the thing. So give us, give us some of your wins and successes. And, and if you want losses. <laughs> yeah. Well, my biggest potential loss was that first deal. Right. And it ended up being a win, but it was, it started out as negative. We've done myself and business partner have put together, I believe 13 total syndications, uh, since we started working together. Um, I also was work with another boutique company for a while where I was third on the totem pole there. So I was, I was a pseudo partner where I got equity in the deals and we did, I did another two or 3000 units with them of multifamily. But between myself and my business partner, we probably raised somewhere between 30 and 40 million of equity that has gone to 12 to 13 different private equity deals. And that's the, the deals are spread over multifamily, of course, self-storage, mobile home parks, and distressed debt. And we've done a variety of different types of deals where we, we are the full equity in the deal and we own the the entire apartment complex, or we've done a few of these where we're preferred equity. So we're just a little tranche or a, not a little, but I would say a $3 million out of a $6 million tranche of equity where we get preferred returns that are capped, but we get preferred returns. And so it's a, it's a, a lower risk investment with still good cash flow for investors. So our, a lot of our investors have loved those. They're harder to come by now, but those have been some of our best successes. So all of our deals have hit pro forma or beat pro forma. And, you know, our apartment deal is, is doing incredibly well right now. We, we've financed out 70% of our cash. We're paying 17 plus percent cash on cash now. And that's being conservative. We're holding a lot of cash because of COVID. Uh, we, we've got 
quite a bit of money in a distressed debt fund that's going really well. It's again, low risk. There's no debt. So we're, we are the debt. So we're buying loans and we obviously aren't leveraging up ourselves. So when COVID hit, I was thankful <laughs> that we had an investment like that where I could breathe easy and know that we'd be fine because you know we have no debt to service. So we don't have to worry about people paying us rent. Uh, we actually own, own the loans themselves. And so we've exited, I would say, gosh, I, I hadn't thought through this, but we probably exited five or six of our funds and we own five or six still. And, you know, all those exits have been great. I mean, we haven't lost an investor, you know, we've never lost investor money, obviously, because we always hit pro forma or better. And, and so, you know, it's just been a good ride so far, but I, I will caution anyone listening to this as a syndicator that if you've had success or if you're new and, and you start getting into this, if you do enough deals, you're going to have a bad one. Knock on wood that, you know, my goal is to mitigate the uh, effects of whatever that bad one is when I have one. I mean, if I do this for the next 20 years, I'm eventually going to get into a deal that's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these deals haven't been easy. Some of them had times where I, where I was a little worried and I was like, Oh gosh, you know, for instance, this, this re you know, cube smart was building near us or near our self storage facility. And we can't compete with a REIT when it comes to cost of capital, we have to pay a preferred return to our investors. They basically have free money mm-hmm. so they can just give away their units to, to lease up and, and take the, take the market. And so, you know, that was a, a nervous time during that time, but we weathered it well. And quite honestly, we ended up selling to them at a record low cap rate, wow. you know? So we, we took that issue, that problem and said, how can we solve this? Let's not compete with a REIT. They want the market, see if they'll buy ours. They did. And they paid under a five cap for a class B self-storage deal. So, you know, it's things like that where you just got to be able to adjust and make moves and and not just stick by your plan all the time. I love what you just said, the adjust and not just because I mean, you I mean, obviously going into it, you guys didn't know you were going to sell to your competitor, right? (laughs) No, not at all. Uh, I didn't even know they were going to be building there. There's no permits. There's nothing, no indications. And suddenly there's such a lesson in that because, you know, as you said, um, well, I'll just... I actually heard Norman Schwarzkopf at one point in time speak. I was at a Franklin Covey symposium and he was talking about just being creative and Mm -hmm. building teams. And I won't go into the whole story, but there was a military problem. He had just been promoted to a two-star general. The four-star general above him had to go to Afghanistan. And so he was in charge of the Pentagon as a young general. Mm -hmm. And his boss had made a decision like on their third day, this is what we're going to do. And I think this was under the Clinton administration or Bush. And so Norman Schwarzkopf tells this story about he, he asked his boss when they left, he said, how do you know this is the right decision? The previous two administrations have been dragging their heels on this. And his boss just said, we're, this is what we're going to do. And his boss said to him, Norman, as long as you've assembled the right team and you've calculated all the risks, even if we've made a bad decision, the team around you and your curiosity and creativity will take that and make that a good outcome. And that's basically what you guys did. And I think, again, the reason why people don't get to investing or get moving and, uh, you know, I put a post up the other day that was kind of a little controversial, but I said, your boss will never pay you enough to, to be his neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing that one. I love that one actually. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's when, so true. It is, it is true. And the thing that keeps, I think everybody wants to, by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a W2 employee, nothing. Not all of us want to be entrepreneurs. Um, But as we've said so many times before, I mean, we all have to make money somehow. And whether that's a W-2 job or whether that's, you know, owning your own business or whatever, 
you make money somehow, but then you compound your wealth and you grow your wealth through investing of some sort. And that's what I love. And I'm so excited to have Hans on because as you guys can hear, I mean, he's got a ton of background, a ton of experience, just, just an amazing background. And that's why I love talking with you and, and being, yeah, we're actually in a, in a, in a group, we get on a call a couple times a week and I just learned so much from him. So the whole premise behind the investing for freedom podcast, you know, if you want to obviously get into investing passively or, you know, talk to somebody about structuring deals, Hans has some stuff coming up that could potentially be of interest to you. But for now, I want to focus on, there's a pivotal point in your story that you talked about. You were a CPA, you went to school, right? I mean, you went to college right. for this. Yeah. I got a master's in accounting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a master's in accounting and you're, you're at the pinnacle, right? Price, Price Waterhouse Cooper. I mean, this is like one of the top four, right? It was one of the big four firms. Yeah. It's one of the big four. I mean, it's not like McKinsey level management consulting, but it's, it, it's a, it's a well-known respected firm. It's and you, the biggest professional service firm in the world. And you walked away from that. I did. And it was hard. Like I almost like, I don't, I don't even want to say this, but I almost cried the last day because I was so scared mm -hmm. about what I was getting myself into as I was, I, that's all I'd ever known yeah. since college. So in a 10 year decades, a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I was taking quite a bit of risk, you know, in, in my mind, I was, when I look back, I wasn't, you know, when I think about it and like, I had no obligations. I lived in an apartment in Dallas, Texas, you know, and I, I was so cheap. I was paying 25 cents uh, to park in, in some lot out from the, uh, where I work that <laughs> my manager always says, you're, you parking out in the killing fields because I was trying to save money to invest, you know? So I really wasn't taking that much risk, but it, at the time it felt like it. Well, I think there's a lesson in that alone. You know, the theory of loss constraints. I mean, sometimes we've put so much time and money and energy into a project at work or, uh, you know, an education that we paid for, or we've invested the last 10 years climbing the corporate ladder in a certain organization. And again, I'm not saying that people should, I'm not trying to point that out because I think that if you're a lawyer, you shouldn't be a lawyer, but I talked to so many people and Hans, I know you have too. Um, that were attorneys, they were doctors, they were lawyers, or they still are. And they decided to invest passively, but so many people have left their careers. And the only thing that I'm really saying is what do you really want? And once you determine that, why do you want it? The key is what are you going to do to get it? And you were obviously, and I'd, I'd love to unpackage this a little bit. You were obviously so focused on, um, something, um, uh, that, that you walked away from everything, not everything, but I mean, cause you, nobody can take that education from you, but you left your career. What were you chasing? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, what drove me at the time was obviously, you know, we just had the 2008 financial crisis mm. and I saw the amount of layoffs that were happening. Mm. And, you know, during this whole time I had gotten involved a little bit in real estate and bought a couple of rent houses. So I was, I had my feet wet a little bit, but then I saw 2008 and I saw the amount of people that got laid off. And I said to myself, I said, I don't want to ever depend on somebody to decide whether I get paid or not. Mm. I want to decide if I get paid or not. And, and the only way to do that is to go either invest, you know, with other people, which is in a way you're controlling because you're an investor, you're own equity in the deal. It's much more controllable than whether somebody gives you a good review on your work mm. and you get a, a raise or not. And so I, I just, that made me want to give it a shot. And I realized that you know, if I, if I stay where I am, I'm going to get trapped, as I said earlier, and I'm going to be in this job that, yeah, I could get paid a lot, but I could get laid off at any time. Cause there were, there was, you know, I don't know how many, you know, the demographics of your audience, but the people that, you know, were older that back then that remember this time, there were 
the really great employees that got laid off mm-hmm. that it got laid off, not because of performance, because it's something they couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's, that's what drove me. That's yeah. why, it, that's why I wanted to create, have control. And it's still, the control part is still a big deal with when I invest um, or when I, when I do deals. Yeah. Well, even, um, you know, we're, we're sitting at the end of July in 2020 and we're experiencing the coronavirus and all this stuff. And, you know, we're part of a group called GoBundance, which there's been a lot of talk lately about, you know, now's the best time to be hiring because there's mm-hmm. so many amazing employees that have been laid off, not because of performance, but because companies have been cut in half. Literally companies are going bankrupt and, and broke and having to go out of business be, because of instant shifts in the economy. So I heard Kiyosaki one time say that, um, you know, if you want the best place to have security is in prison, you get, <laughs> you know, you get three square meals a day, you get food. That's true. And, that is true. you know, and I had another guy tell me, you know, what scares the crap out of him is knowing on January one, how much money he's going to make by December 31st. And that's just cuts such an interesting switch in, in philosophy and thought process, because usually that's security to people, right? Well, I have, yeah. I have a good job. I know how much money I'm going to make. I can, I can budget. But the reality for, for me is like, that scares the hell out of me. If I knew January one, I was going to make $49,000 by December 31st and nothing more, nothing less. Like that's scary. Yeah, I fully agree. In fact, I, I get, you know, part of what drives me is maybe I'm not doing as good one month or maybe, you know, maybe the years, you know, not going as well as I thought I can always ramp up what I'm doing. If I get a little complacent and, and, and make changes like we discussed and adjust, right. You have control. You're able to decide, you know, what your end game is. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, that's risky. You know, you, what if you didn't make any money? Well, what if you get laid off or think about another way? what about the risk of what you missed and what you could have been and what you could have done? Mm -hmm. And it may be as simple as like, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of your audience may be W2 employees and they're just looking to invest. There's plenty of people that love their jobs and that make good salaries and love their jobs, but they're dependent on that salary. So I would, I would, you know, tell those people that that's great. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep playing offense and making the money but then go over here and invest it Mm -hmm. and create that kind of that safety net for yourself where when you're ready to leave your career, you can leave on your terms and not theirs because you've already built yourself some passive income, whatever that is, whether it's through syndicating yourself or with other people. So there's nothing wrong with being a W2 employee and just investing well Mm -hmm. and having passive income on the side. There's nothing wrong with that. That That can create tons of freedom for employed people. Yeah. Well, in fact, I, I was watching a video that you did at a, a meetup that you were speaking at um, for passive investors. Really, it was focused on passive investors. And so when you go to an event like that, there's a big percentage of people there that actually are self-employed or W-2 employees and are completely happy, right? Not right. everybody's an operator, right? Not at all. Not at all. I would say Great. that the opportunities, there's probably more opportunity in being a passive investor than there really is, you know, starting your own multifamily business, right? Totally. Because you can, it's easy to go invest, you know, money with a bunch of different sponsors that have good track records and different asset classes. But I, you know, I know multifamily, I know self-storage and mobile home parks, but you know, if you can tell they're all pretty similar, they're multi-tenant type properties and they're run somewhat similarly. But then if I try to step out and go do office or retail or go buy an operating company, I don't have knowledge in that area. I could learn it. I know I could, but 
I haven't, it's much easier for me to just go invest with, with the, for instance, I have money with a big retail fund right now. Thank goodness I am with them versus myself. Cause right now I'd rather be with them because they have way more experience than I do yeah. in this, in this environment. So, and they're doing fine. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Passive investing and, and sprinkling around, especially if you, if you make a good W2 income and you got a little bit of extra to invest, even 25,000, just take that first step. Yeah, I love it. And we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, how you can get a hold of it. But Hans actually has a passive investor checklist that he put together that's pretty amazing. And, and again, if I was a new investor, you know, Hans, you, you, I appreciate you being open and, and honest and talking about this, but you know, you had everything invested in a single deal that started to go south. And, and a lot of that has created this process and, and, and your ability to, you know, make the checklist. But the reality is, all of our listeners, if you're not already a passive investor or, you know, investing at some point in time, everybody's going to have all of their investment money tied up in something for the first time. Right. And so whether that's $5,000 or whether that's $50,000 or $500,000, because you're conservative and scared to invest. I talk to people all the time that literally have $500,000 sitting in a bank account and they're just scared to invest it. And so Again, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but Hans has a checklist that can kind of help you maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that, that you got into, right? And, and nothing's, yeah. fail, nothing's fail-proof, right? No, and it's not rocket science. It's just experience and knowing what to look for. Mm-hmm. And, and investing is not hard in, in, in if you look at it qua investing. It's just that basically investing is, is something you have to learn and you have to follow a process when you look at deals. And, and if you can follow that process and then you can over time learn to look at deals better and with more and more detail and, and, and be able to catch red flags early and not waste time looking at deals and your world will open up in terms of what you can invest in and where you're comfortable And this, this whole idea of it being risky. it's to me, it's risky to have a half million dollars of cash sitting in a bank and not making it my money, yeah. you know, making me money. So, yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had some conversations just, you know, as, as friends and in the call we're on every week and, you know, that can be stressful in itself. Right. I mean, yeah, for totally. just having money sitting. Well, yeah, because it's depreciating by at least 3%, probably a lot more yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, it's going away as we speak and need cash in the bank. Now, granted, you have to have some, but um, I, I would, I would press, you know, your listeners to try to, to try to get past that, that block of it being risky mm-hmm. to invest your money. You, it, it's risky not to. Yeah. The key is, is to learn how to invest from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of people out here doing this. Well, and I come back to that a lot, just and again, there's a wide range of listeners and some people have never invested anything and some people don't really have the money to get started. So what I often say, and I'd love your thoughts on this. If you've only got like a thousand to $5,000, I tell people invest in your education, like oh, no take doubt. a trip, go to a conference, like, you know, go to, go to some meetups because really there's a level, you really got to get to a certain level of base knowledge. I mean, you said this, you know, investing is not really that difficult as long as you've got a base understanding, which to me is that education, Right. Well, I a hundred percent agree. Um, if you've got $5,000 to, you know, of extra cash, then I would number, well, let me start out with, there is a ton of free content on the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all over. Number yeah. one, you're listening to one, right. Yeah. And you can listen to 10 others. And if all you have is $5,000 to, to invest, go digest all the podcast, 
all the free content. You can you can register for a bunch of crowdfunding sites like like CrowdStreet or I don't I mean, some of them have gone under, but there there's quite a few of them that are existing like Fundrise, and you can literally get access to a lot of their deals to read the documents to begin being able to understand the documents. You just have to sit down and read them and, and try to understand them. It's going to look like Greek the first time, mm-hmm. but. It's just like anything else, repetitiveness and, and understanding and listening to podcasts will help. And then, you know, then at that point, you probably will have pinpointed a conference or a coaching program or mentorship type group that may help you after listening to podcasts and, and uh, go to meetups. I mean, there is so much free knowledge out there mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't really have to spend any money, to be quite honest with you. And then the networking is is more valuable than anything else. Cause you are going to, you're going to meet people who are going to introduce you to this person. You're going to introduce you to this person. And you're going to look back five years ago. If I hadn't talked to that guy at that conference, I would never have met this guy five down, you know, five years later down the road. That is now my becomes a, an investor or a business partner or somebody that's even more integral than my business. You know, that is yeah. so powerful. That point you just made Kara, my wife and I were just talking about this. When I think back to, I sold my first business in 2014 and then it was like, you know, up till then Kara and I had, we, we didn't have partners in, in real estate really. It was, we weren't syndicating, but then I was kind of like, you know, I want to take a stab at making a business out of real estate investing. And so a friend of mine, Tyler, who, who, you know, um, works with us now, he actually sent me a link to a real estate guys event, which was in Phoenix. And so this was early 20. 16, I think, I think it was, well, it was actually, yeah, it was like January, January 12th, 2016, something like that. Or maybe it was 2015. doesn't matter. There was an event and he texted me this link and it was literally like eight days later. And I told Kara, I'm like, I, I'm going to go to this. And she's like, not without me. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> uh, so we jumped on a plane last minute, went to Phoenix. I met the real estate guys. I met my partner, Andrew. I met so many people joined the mastermind. Um, I think fast forward to the next January, which I think was probably 2017 there. I was at a goals event. That's where I met you. Yep. And so yep, you, exactly. you, you don't, I mean, you can't plan that stuff. No, no, you, you just have to take action and you know what? You're going to kiss a lot of frogs and you just have to accept that right now. I go to a lot of meetups and a lot of times I'll go to the meetup and it didn't provide any value for me for that hour I spent there. But then once in a while I'll meet that person or I'll you know make that connection that was worth every, you know, the hundred other times I went where I didn't have value. So you have, I mean, there's no getting around it. There's, there's, you have to put in the work, you know, this isn't just suddenly you're, you're good to go. And you you know, you you can't just learn this by osmosis. You actually have to put in the work. One of the things that reminds me, one of the things I meant to mention is a lot of people will spend hours or days searching for the best TV to buy and, and how much should I spend and what should, or the cars or the, somebody will spend six months searching for a car, the right car, the, they will put a ton of time into it. Yet the same person who's making good money, say, you know, a lawyer making good money will then go invest a hundred grand in a deal and just do it like that without even thinking about it. And I've, I've never understood that mentality. So my, my point is, is that you, if you really are serious about trying to invest and, and create some freedom for yourself, you really need to treat that as your second job for at least for a while until, until you've, you've kind of got your, your feet under you. Mm-hmm. Cause to me, it's almost more important your job because it is the base. It, it's the base of your net worth and, and, and it's giving you the, the freedom to make choices about your job. Yep. So it's more important your job in my opinion. 
Yeah. Well, and I love, you know, you said this a little bit back, but when you're first getting started, just studying, researching, carving out time to learn is important. And you're going to meet a bunch of different people, but eventually you're going to want a mentor. You're going to want to get some kind of mentor. And that might be a paid coaching program. It might be investing with an operator, something like that. But you know, one thing I've, you and I've had this conversation a lot. It's super important. The mentor you pick, right? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, so in that case, I would, you know, if you're looking at mentors to actually, you know, hire as a, as a coach or join a mentor program, I would spend a lot of time talking to members that, you know, that have that are already with them. Mm-hmm. If obviously if it's been going on, if it's new, you can't do that. But, um, and look at the, the coach themselves, have they done what they're teaching? Mm-hmm. Are they doing, are they making more money teaching than they, than they are doing what they're teaching, you yeah. know? And so I've seen a lot of that, you know, where, where people are making much, much more money and, it, and there's nothing wrong with making money in education. That's sure. not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it becomes their prior, it is their primary business mm-hmm. and they got into it for make to make money instead of the other way around where they made money in investing and then they teach their expertise and there's value to it. So they should get paid. But sure. if somebody gets into it strictly to be an educator without doing first, I would steer clear. And doing first, I mean, doing a lot first, not just one deal. Yeah. Well, I heard uh, Warren Buffett said that Wall Street is the only place in the world where people show up in Bentleys to take advice from a kid who took the subway. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Um, which that is so true. Yeah. You know, just putting it in perspective. And again, I love what you said because experience is one thing. I mean, usually, there are, there are people out there that have never done the thing at all. They just went through a program or whatever. I actually, not to get on a soapbox or a tangent, but I think that's the problem with our education system. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, professors and teachers and everything that have never actually done the thing. They're just teaching out of a textbook. Yeah. They're um, just trying to t- make you memorize. Yeah. So it's an interesting point, but I like that you took it even a step further because a lot of times people get to a certain level of, of success as an investor or a business owner or whatever. And then they realize like, Hey, there's a huge opportunity in the mm-hmm. coaching world. And I agree with you hundred percent. They should get paid for it. But if they're making, you know, a hundred times more, um, from coaching than they have ever actually done in the thing, then you might really just want to look at their track record. So I, I love the way you said that. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's what I do when I've looked at, I mean, I, I started out with a coaching program mm-hmm. and that person had made a lot of money in apartments, uh, before I joined their group. So, and it served its purpose for me and then I moved on. Yeah. So, and, and we're not in any way saying that, I mean, I think you should have a mentor doesn't even have to be paid. Right. So, you know, some of my greatest mentors in life never asked me for a penny, but the problem, it's really challenging to find a mentor who can take you all the way because mentoring is free. And usually people that you want to learn from their time is very valuable. So that's the question I get a lot. You know, um, people hear me talk about my, one of my mentors, Barry Lipparelli, who's never charged me a penny, but I've also, I've learned a ton from him. And honestly, like we only talked probably three or four times a year and people, Mm -hmm. when they hear all the lessons that I've learned from him, they probably think that, you know, I met with him once a week. Well, that's not necessarily the case. It's just when you have that focused time, I would usually talk to him when I had an issue or it was a specific problem and he would work through it with me. But if you really want to get to a level where you're getting consistent coaching, you're probably gonna have to pay, right? Oh, hundred percent. You, you're going to have to pay and you have to think about it as a return on your investment. I mean, if you want to pay, I don't know, thousand dollars to learn how to, to invest or a thousand dollars to learn how to buy an apartment yourself, you know, think about the amount of money you could lose if you do it wrong. And so to me, it's, 
it just needs to be commiserate with what you're getting, the value you're getting, right? Um, if I'm investing fifty to $100,000 in a deal and I've never invested in a passive syndication before, I would pay someone to help me in some form or fashion, at least to mitigate my risk to a degree so I can get in the right deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do that at the time. Well, I kind of did because I met this person in, in the mentor group I was in, but I didn't really spend enough time learning how to invest before I invested. And I, I got out by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> so. yeah, totally. So just a quick question that I'm thinking about. So back to, you know, you've got a successful career and you decide to quit your wife's in law school. Is that what you said? Yeah. She started in 09 or 10. Yeah. Yeah. Just talk me through them. This is obviously not a, a marriage <laughs> podcast, but you know, we're partners with our spouses. So how was, was that a difficult conversation or were you guys on the same page? We were on the same page there. She knew that I wasn't totally happy where I was and that I wanted to give it a shot. And and she's obviously, she'd had somewhere, she'd had a, a recruiting career before she went to law school. Mm-hmm. So she was doing somewhat of the same thing, making a change um, and doing something that she had always thought about doing, which was getting a law degree. And so she was hundred percent on the same page. And luckily, you know, I married a great woman that is, you know, and, and she puts up with my frugalness that I had, especially at the time it was, it was pretty bad. I mean, we were literally unplugging our TV <laughs> to save on electricity because I had a plasma that I'd bought when I had a job yeah. and, and I was, so we were cutting pen, pension pennies in anywhere possible. And she was along for the ride and hundred percent on board. So, um, I couldn't have done it without her. Wow. That's amazing. It's impressive. Good stuff, man. So Obviously, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but we're in some interesting times right now. What, what, what do you see coming? What's your advice for people right now? Well, um, my advice is don't be in all cash and don't be in the, don't be all in the stock market. I would get some real assets, whether that's precious metals or whether you get into real estate in the real estate segment, I think I keep thinking or wanting to see distress in the apartment market. Cause I want to buy, but I don't know. I have, I'm not convinced we're going to see it yet mainly because there's so much money on the sidelines that are looking for yield that any distress we do see in the apartment uh, market going forward because of job losses and, and, and COVID continuing is going to be canceled out by people paying higher prices just to be able to place money into real estate and good, into good real estate. So, you know, I, I think multifamily is still a good spot. I just don't think you're going to find the deals that, that were done back in 2012, 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16. It's just to me that it, there's too much money chasing it right now. E-commerce, I think, is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. If there's a way that you can think about getting into e-commerce, whether I mean that's part of your podcast, investing for free, nothing best, go sell something on. E- I mean, people are looking more and more to to buying online. I mean, there's I invested with a group that just purchased one of the biggest name brands uh, that anyone on this podcast would, rec- would recognize. I invested with them, and they just bought the uh, brand and the IP for about $30 million. And this at one time was over a billion dollar company. Wow. Yeah. So, and I took a little risk, right? So I have enough money. I can take a risk, yep. but I didn't, but I, but that could be a home run, but I didn't do that when I was mm-hmm. in 2010. Yeah. I did it now where I just put a little money, play money with them, knowing I can lose it all. But if it pays off, it pays off big. I love e-commerce. So there's a way to get into that. And I also think industrial is a big area of real estate that I, you know, would, I would love to get in myself. I'm not in it. 
and I'm still searching for sponsors and, and people to invest with there. So I think industrial development, industrial existing industrial buildings are just going to be the last mile of distribution now is going to be so important mm. because so many more, much more things like cold storage and stuff is being delivered where it can't just sit in a huge warehouse 30 miles away. It's got to be very close for mm. quick deliveries. So I, I think those are the areas to look at. I mean, we're still looking at self-storage and obviously mobile home parks, I think are always going to be there and always be a good investment because affordable housing and they're not building any more of them. So if I was a new investor right now, I would, I would just hoard your cash, maybe put in, put it some of them into precious metals just as a store of value, not as an investment. And then, and then start searching for that right sponsor or that right investment type that you, you know, when, when the time comes that you can jump in with both feet. Yeah. We'll move forward. So I think we'll, we'll, we're going to get through this, but I think it's going to be at least eight to 12 months before we're kind of free of the COVID yeah. thought, I think at least. Yeah. Well, I don't make recommendations very often. I don't know if I ever have, but I can tell you guys listening right now that if I, if I was going to invest with anybody, cause you know, as Hans said right now, I mean, interest, um, real estate is interesting right now. You got to be really careful. Nobody has a crystal ball. But I would put my money with Hans because I know that whatever deal he's moving forward with, he's vetted it better than I probably ever could. So again, I don't make recommendations, but if you're interested in passing passive investing and Hans, do you guys only take accredited investors or what? Yes, we're accredited only. Okay. Yes. If you guys are considering investing, I mean, I would definitely reach out to Hans. So, uh, and again, I don't give endorsements much, but, and again, <laughs> full disclosure too, we do have a mobile home park fund together too, but I would look at anything he's doing, whether it's industrial or apartments or storage, I would feel comfortable investing with him. So Hans, I appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else that we need to discuss that we haven't? No, I just want to reiterate to your listeners to be, don't get frustrated. It's going to take time, be patient and just keep plugging away. It will pay off. It will snowball. I promise. I like it. Just, just make sure you're holding, you're heading in the right direction. That's the key. And if people want to reach out to you, where, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, well, our website is box, www.boxwilson, B-O-X-W-I-L-S-O-N, boxwilson.com. And my email is H-B-O-X at boxwilson.com, H-Box at boxwilson.com. And Hans actually has a investor checklist, which I mentioned earlier. If you want to send an email to team at investingforfreedom.co, and in the subject line, just put passive investor checklist. We'll make sure you get a copy of that and we'll make sure you get connected with Hans as well. well I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. I thank you for your time and all your wisdom and expertise. It's going to be an amazing, uh, amazing show. Appreciate it. All right. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You too. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.